Hey listeners, are you looking to monetize your craft? I know many of you out there are independent creators, publishers, educators, and of course, podcasters. If you're looking to monetize your passion, you have to check out memberful.com. Used by the biggest creators online, Memberful is providing best-in-class membership software for entrepreneurs and creators and has everything you need to run a successful and scalable membership program. In other words, Memberful allows you to build sustainable recurring revenue by selling memberships to your audience. You can send paid email newsletters directly through the platform, for example, without needing to connect to a third-party email provider. You can also publish your paid newsletter to a Memberful-hosted members-only website, putting your brand front and center. And most importantly, you retain full control and ownership of your audience. Setup is super simple, so get started today at Memberful.com. That's memberful.com and start earning. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak with all kinds of founders and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. If you enjoy the show and E2 is part of your podcast diet, you can become a supporter. Go to glow.fm slash E2. That's glow.fm slash E2. And most importantly, a huge thank you to those that have supported the show thus far. Today is my recent chat with Matt LaRochelle, co-founder of Matt and Steve's. You may be familiar with their Extreme Bean product, which is the number one selling pickled bean across North America. From pickling in their condo, these two founders, Matt and Steve, are now one of the biggest global players in the category, with a jar of Extreme Bean being consumed every 11 seconds. Of note, the company is also the number one selling pickled bean in the US in under four years of launch, the number one selling asparagus in Canada, and the number one selling Caesar Rimmer in Canada. Okay, in this round two with Matt, we discussed the ups and downs of being in the food space during a global pandemic, the current supply chain disruption and its impact on both companies and consumers, paradigm shift away from just-in-time inventory to inventory on hand, the company's launch into the ready-to-drink space with Matt and Steve's Caesar, and lots of M&A activity, of course, in the specialty food category. We talk about that and much, much, much more. So with that intro out of the way, let's get right to the show. Here is round two with Matt Lyrichelle. How's it been for you guys since COVID has hit? In a few sentences, how would you describe the last couple of years? Oh, the last couple of years have been a roller coaster. Just when you think that, you know, things are going well, you know, boom, something hits you. It's been interesting. It's been challenging but oddly rewarding in a lot of respects too. It, it was challenging, but we, we managed through it. We managed through it and we managed to grow through it, which was uh, pretty surprising. But yeah, yeah, it, it, it was uh, an emotionally taxing year for sure. Mm -hmm. And the plant has remained open, right? This entire time? Yeah, we've had, uh, well, we're in food. So we, we had to, we stayed open. But well, we obviously have to put a ton of restrictions on um, how we do business and change how we do business. But the biggest problem, to, to be to be straight with you, Adam, is it wasn't so much the you know putting up plexiglass and putting these you know uh, 
restrictions in place. It was dealing with the people. Every person dealt with COVID different. Some had high risk tolerance, some had, you know, low, somewhere in between, some, you know, had family members that took ill. Like everybody had a diff slightly different experience with COVID and you had to manage everybody a little different. And still, you know, the business remained the same. The, the, the needs of the business never changed. Like, are there HR issues that surfaced that you and Steve as owners of the business just found surprising to navigate? We're a fairly young business that is scaling and we're bringing on new people and we did hire uh, throughout the process and to have somebody at home, there's an analogy that I thought, you know, I think of it's like my, my daughter started playing hockey first time, nine years old, never got on the ice, you know, and I, mm -hmm. I, I messed up. I didn't, you know, to tell her the rules. So she goes out there and she doesn't know how to line up. She doesn't know anything about hockey, essentially. And I'm walking, I'm watching her. And, you know, the first period was a disaster, but by the middle of the game, she starts to get it. And the only reason why she started to get it, she just started watching the other kids. How do the other kids do it? So yeah, it, it, it was an interesting two years for sure. But at the beginning, so the demands of the business remain the same, as you mentioned, right? And you guys are growing at a crazy clip. Um, you're the number one selling pickled bean in North America. All the while, um, you're trying to navigate and learn. You know, let's rewind back to March 2020. Those first few months just must have been insane because obviously you don't want to disappoint your, your retailers. And they are, right, experiencing that crazy uptick in demand um, because, you know, as things close down, they're essential businesses, they have to remain open. So, you know, we had to learn through the process that, you know, there is a way to manage this. And at the beginning, we didn't know any, any of that. We were trying to figure it out as we go. There was very little help. Um, but everybody kind of went, everybody went through the same thing. When it, the pandemic first hit, we lost 30% of our business. So all of our bars and restaurants closed. And then what happened was demand at retail, you know, just took off, you know, all those people that used to go out to bars and restaurants just started doing things at home. And then we realized, you know, we have demand now, so we have work for all of our people, but how do we do this safely and keep everybody's heads in the game uh, throughout the process? So that was challenging. The first month we gave everybody a 15% raise across the board. And then the managers had, you know, had to get offset of KPIs of just absolutely enforcing all these uh, rules and regs and it worked out. The sales channels where your products are available. So you mentioned the loss of, of retail and restaurants, excuse me, restaurants. So that part of the business is lost overnight. Grocery is obviously going crazy. Just for listeners that don't quite understand the balance of sales and how important restaurant services to your business, give them an, an idea. Yeah, so when we first started, myself and Steve, we started in the restaurant business. We started as bartenders, and what we wanted to do was put this extreme bean as a Caesar uh, or a Bloody Mary garnish in in the cocktail. At the beginning, bars and restaurants were about 70% of our overall revenue. Over time, as we entered into retail, that shift started to happen. But when the pandemic hit, it still made up about 30% of our overall revenue. So it was a split, you know, food service was 30, retail was was 70. So, you know, overnight we lost 30% of our revenue, um, which was quite concerning. So you lose 30% of the revenue on the restaurant side. Demands picked up on the grocery side. 
you're in a low margin category, if I understand this correctly. So, right. So, so I mean, it sounds really nice and kind and generous on the surface to give people a 15% raise. What does this do to your bottom line? This is not the time to take profit. It's just not. It's, uh, you know, businesses are designed to make profit. That, that is 100% true. But there is times, and we're lucky because we are a two-man ownership group, there's times where you have to park that. And you say, listen, like, we'll get it back later. Right now, it's time to take care of our people and invest what we need to to get through it. And if it, if it puts us in the red, it puts us in the red for the short term. That's the way we went about it. We had the luxury to say, listen, let's just not worry about that for now and let's take care of our people. Okay, let's shift to the supply chain side of things for a moment because this is a situation that continues to be a challenge, a major pain point for not only a lot of companies, but consumers who are sitting there waiting for product or dealing with out of stock or whatever. So how has this challenge taken shape for you guys and how are you navigating it? Yeah, we are not inoculated from this. We are paying sometimes double for inputs that we didn't pay last year. We are, you know, waiting twice as long to get product. Um, it's, I've never seen anything like it, to be honest with you, Adam. And I don't think it's over anytime soon. Mm -hmm. um, how are you hedging against it? Or are you able to hedge against it in any way? Remember when you know, the old phrase was cash is king? Now, inventory is king. You win if you have yep. inventory. And so we started stockpiling, but the problem is that has now run out. So we have to go back to market and purchase more at double the price. So what we were lucky to do is because our, our stuff is by and large shelf stable. So we inventoried a ton of stuff. So we don't love to do that. And the other one is to drive down your costs, your other costs. So be more efficient in the plant. Uh, you know, you've got to cut fat where you see it and try to try to do your best. You guys are in grocery stores across the country. What is this do from a partnership standpoint are, are they patient do they understand that lead times are changing and are, are they happy to wait for product uh no they're not and i think understandably they have customers to serve and they want to serve their customers because if you know a customer goes into store they can't find what they want well there's options you can go to the next store and find what they want so they're trying to safeguard their business also so are they patient no and i also think that they're getting hit left right and center so they're not patient from an emotional standpoint. They're just tired of people telling them they can't get what they need for their customers. So, you know, I feel for them. It's a reality, but we're trying to do our best to keep everybody, all of our clients in stock the best we can. You know, what's so interesting. So you mentioned this idea of um, you win if you have inventory, right? We've gone almost like from the opposite end of the spectrum, just in time inventory lean is king all the way over to what you're describing where stocking inventory is king having product on hand is king and you said that you don't think this is going to be over anytime soon the just-in-time inventory is dead for now and there's a couple mm -hmm. reasons for that the just-in-time inventory was really born when interest rates were extremely high mm -hmm. so carrying inventory was tough so as long as interest rates stay relatively low, I think you'll see more people de-risk themselves by carrying more inventory. 
you guys are privately held. You and Steve own 50% of the business each. Uh, you've raised no outside funding to date. And to this point, you've essentially self-financed the business and added you know, debt to the business with your banking partners. And as you describe, if you're moving into this environment where you're stockpiling inventory, obviously your banking partner becomes that much more important. Yeah, and, and they do. They're key to you know this strategy. The thing with the bank that you you know you you can never get around is they're in the business of lending money and they want it back, right? They want to lend as most money they can with as little risk as possible, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have we had to show them that this is not a risk. You need to bet on the people. We've had a great track record over twenty years of dealing with our banks, and then you. The bigger problem is, is getting to them to move fast. Pandemic hits, everybody goes home. Everything slows down for a while, right? And you're in this environment where you need to make decisions in almost in real time and you need access to funds to do that. And, you know, mm -hmm. to get through to the bank and then, you know, your relationship manager, and then I call it the wizard behind the curtain, the guy that they always go to, and then they come back with their feedback, but they never tell you who the guy is. So what, what's the wizard say today? Um, you know, so you got to figure out how to get through the wizard. And, you know, once you do that, you know, you seem to kind of get going, but it, it was it was tough to get anybody to move fast and to react to the realities of what was happening on the ground. Have you thought about bringing on outside investors? No, actually, well, we thought about it. We, we, we don't think it's necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had a good relations with our traditional bank. We um, we manage our money very well. So we, we've never really overly extended ourselves. We we keep our debt level relatively low to uh, our sales and we hold things back for rainy days. Going back to something you were saying uh, a few minutes ago about interest rates remaining relatively low. I know you're not an economist, but given all the stimulus that's been printed here, I think we're staring down an inflationary path and, and by default, you're looking at rising interest rates. So what is your best guess as to how things are going to take shape over the course of the next year, two years. Who knows? But here's the problem. There are a lot of people out there that are leveraged right now, and they're not mm -hmm. bringing in the kind of money to handle a quick move on interest rates. They're just not. Um, you know, housing prices, uh, businesses that haven't been operating at full pop for a couple of years and have taken on debt now are trying to dig out of that hole. Um, it would be really interesting to me if we raised interest rates anytime soon. Yes, we have inflationary pressures, but a lot of that circles around one industry and that's supply chain. If we could figure out supply chain, right? And it, it really it circles around a, a subset of supply chain, which is container usage. So if we can kind of right the ship, for, you know, uh, so to speak, on the container problem, in the shipping yards, I think this thing will correct itself. I don't know if this is related or unrelated. You were talking about this idea of retailers looking at skew rationalization as a result of, of what's happening here. What does that mean? Well, essentially what retailers are doing is they're saying, listen, everything's hard to get, right? And I can't be managing 
I'm just going to throw a number out there, 50 SKUs and 30 of them are challenges, right? And But they don't sell that, that much either. Like I'm out and then I'm waiting two or three weeks to get it and my shelf looks empty. And from a customer perspective, it, it looks um, bare. So what they're doing is like, listen, okay, who's supplying and who's moving? Everybody else, you're a little bit of a, a pain point for me right now. So until supply chain and everything stabilizes where it's easy for you to deliver, I can't overly manage all these SKUs because everybody has certain amount of issues. So what they're doing is they're rationalizing and say, you're not moving enough for the time and effort I'm putting into you. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take those uh, that shelf space away. We're gonna overface on the guys that are moving and they're gonna say, listen, we're just, we're really trying to reduce our workload. I would imagine though, that means that buyers are reluctant to try anything new. 100%. So in the US, we were growing like amazingly, but a lot of it came from new distribution, pipe filling, right? You know, you get uh, another swath of Kroger and Walmart and, you know, you, you start collecting Safeway, you start collecting all these uh, accounts and your distribution increases. And then your points where your customers can buy your product increases, you know, ergo your sales increase. Buyer stop, we call it planogram resets. So essentially is when they look at a section where we're, we would be in pickles and olives and you say, we're gonna reset this section. We're gonna bring in some new, try some new stuff. We're gonna get rid of some stuff that's just not moving and we're gonna reset this. And we're gonna you know keep it fresh for our customers. They stop doing all that. The last 24 months, there has been essentially zero resets it really hurt our ability to increase our distribution. So we're hoping that that's, you know, there's gonna be an onslaughts of resets because usually you do it on an annual basis. They haven't done it in the last couple of years. So we're hoping that that's all gonna come back with, uh, with a vengeance. Mm -hmm. And what about selling? I would imagine in your space. So as, as things have changed in that regard, how have you been impacted? And how do you see things taking shape going forward? Are we opening up? Are we going back to in-person? Do you feel like we are? I would imagine in the U.S., obviously, things are opening up at a much more aggressive pace. Um, are you getting down to the U.S. on a plane? Are you meeting with buyers? How are you selling? Yeah, so that has changed fundamentally. Uh, and at first, it was awesome. It really was. Uh, you know, no no plane fare uh, expenditures, no hotels, no dinners, no nothing. You hop on a Zoom call. Great, right? Uh, yeah, That's the where the 15%. <laughs> uh, salary increase came from right yeah exactly and, and you're not wrong because all that was gone right that came right off your you know and everybody at the beginning said they loved it this is fantastic fast forward a year and a half and you see it now like you see the ability to how you were able to sell and the effectiveness of that it's not as good it just it, well your your conversion rate isn't as high you we had to change from a essentially an emotional selling base, which is, you know, this is a great product, tasty, it's fun, it's going to bring some life to your category, you know, and, and, and sit there in front of them and show them our energy and our passion around that. And we had to change to a more, or I guess the sliding scale had to move to a more data-driven sell, uh, selling tactic because that didn't come through on Zoom. So it's like, how are we going to build your category? What are we growing in the market? You know, what does this do for you and your bottom line? And, you know, those kind of things. And because the the emotional or the fun 
way of selling just it, it didn't translate through through zoom so we had to change our decks and but we're looking forward to getting back on the road and getting in front of buyers and selling our product i guess the old-fashioned way we think that's that, that's fun and uh, it just it, the conversion rates better also it's not that you don't sell in the data you do but you have another layer on that which helps you know solidify the listing previously when we've we've spoken about this the idea of creating products that are tasty topical social and fun those were historically your pillars right by which you put this new product development process through to make sure you were you were ticking all of those boxes so ha- have you changed those filters or had to rethink those as a company no absolutely not no those are always our mm-hmm. filters those tasty topical social and fun is what built this company uh, every product that we launch has to go through those filters. We increase fun in people's lives. When you open up a fridge and you see our product, it's just a little more fun than everything else in that fridge. So no, we have not changed our filters. We've actually doubled down on them. We, we've been looking at it. It's like, how do we create more fun? Like me and Steve were just uh, did a launch video for one of our other products. And, you know, we're on a snow machine and you know it's on green screen but we're on a snow machine he looks ridiculous i look ridiculous and we're just trying to add a little fun to people's lives you talk about these uh filters or these pillars have you thought about direct consumer in a different way and how do you build your brand directly with the individual or or do you yeah no it's definitely more challenging so we had to lean on brand a lot in the you know the first six months the early days um we spent a lot of time in the market out there you know sampling our products we that inertia carried us for a few months right and then we went into a little bit you know the last few months we've gone into a little bit of a how do we do this without being able to go touch people but luck would have it we did our first trade show this weekend in ottawa direct to consumer sampling our products and i wasn't there but apparently the the team and steve was there and said it just it was fantastic to get out there and sample and talk to people and see the energy and feed off of that so you know steve is in charge of that area of the business and his whiteboard is just full of events coming up and you know we're going to make up for some lost time we launched two products essentially in the middle of the pandemic which was our caesar in a can ready to drink and our pickle spears and we've got some catching up to do you know a lot of our clients our fans our customers have never tasted them have never sampled them so we're getting out there we're going to put some liquid to lips and we're going to you know uh, sample some pickles and we're going to have some fun the ready to drink was available in the LCBO though, right? At the beginning, the LCBO is an essential service. <laughs> <laughs> Some listeners are going to question that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that said, LCBO has been open the entire time. Uh, I would imagine your Caesar was available the entire time. Yeah, it was. And that's what I mean when we, le- when we leaned on brand. We were able to get mm-hmm. some of our customers to convert from whatever they were doing. Because you gotta, this is a brand new product, right? It's a brand new product for us. So this is a different channel altogether so we had to change behavior and uh we leaned on our brand a lot to do that that being said without sampling and the ability to go actually get somebody to try our product it was tough 
right? We, we did okay. You know, we have a, I think we have the best liquid on the market, but for somebody to see an ad or see a video and change their actual behavior, you have to get them to try the product. And that's where the tasty aspect comes in, involved in our tasty, topical, social, and fun. If our product isn't, we feel the best tasting product on the market, it doesn't make it through the filter. In the Forbes article that was just released on you guys, you mentioned that industry growth in your category, specifically the pickled vegetable category, is forecasted to grow at three and a half percent. Like, I don't know how you think about that growth rate, but as you talk about this ready to drink category as being a separate category altogether, it seems to me like there'd just be way more growth happening in uh, alcoholic beverages than there would be in the pickled vegetable category. So are you thinking about doubling down on the RTD side of things? Yeah, so the first part of the question is the 3% growth in the marinated vegetable category. So we actually think that there's positioning the way we're positioned, there's a lot more growth in the pickle category than what the market is calling for. For us specifically, we will out out achieve the category. Now, your second part of that question is a Caesar. Yes, there is massive growth in this in this area. We see it year uh, over year, month over month. We're excited about it. Are we doubling down? Well, we're getting in aggressively. We think that there's there's a market here. Listen, it, it took us about two to three years to launch this brand. And one of the reasons why it took us so long is because we couldn't, I'll be honest, we couldn't get the formulation right. It just didn't taste good. And then finally, you know, we got it. What's been your experience selling into the LCBO and how does that differ from, say, other provinces or states if you're selling into the U.S.? Well, you know, the LCBO is a big company, but so is Costco, so is Walmart, so, you know, so is Lobo, so is Kroger. So, you know, like they're all big companies and they have relatively simple demands. Do you want your product to sell? Do you want to be able to get it? You need to supply them and you need to move it. If you can do that, they're actually wonderful to work with because they deliver volume for you. So, you know, that's how it is dealing with them. You better sell. And in, in, in the alcohol business, what I've learned is there's no incubation period. Whereas mm. the, you know, our pickle category back when we launched, we were lucky because people incubated the product for a while. Once you got on a grocery shelf, you got about a, you know, a year, two years to kind of make it work. Where, you know, nowadays, especially in the alcohol business, there is so much competition in the ready to drink space right now. You've seen it when you've gone into stores, you know, the White Claws exploding and the, you know, the, the sodas and the, the different drinks that are now available in a can. And the stores aren't getting any bigger. They're still the same size store. So their minimums of what you need to move have just been creeping up. And that's your obligation. You have to move it or you won't be there very long. What's the end game for you guys? Like, what's the next chapter of this business for you? And I mean, I know from what I know of you, Matt, you kind of play the anti, you know, exit game in a way. Um, you've been in it for the long haul. You're doing this with your best friend. You haven't taken a lick of outside funding, uh, at least in terms of the equity side of things. So what is the next chapter for you? You're right. We and Steve have been doing this a very long time. So at some point, you know, you think that train is going to run out of rail. But for now, 
we're growing and we're having, Adam, we're just having so much fun. Like this is a fun product. And when the music stops, if I can look back and say, listen, I'm really proud of what we built and what we've been able to, you know, deliver to the market and, you know, the, the, the customers and the fans that we've created, like, you know, I go to places now, which it blows my mind. It's like, oh, you're Matt from Matt Steve's. That's incredible. I'm like, because we started literally in our van driving one case here, one case there, and it was extremely unsexy. And we still have a little bit of that mentality where this isn't sexy. We're just having a lots of fun doing it. And because we're having so much fun, we can play a little bit of the patient game. Kellogg's gets in, into the specialty food category, buys our X bar for 600 million bucks. I mean, that's just you know, one story here. Uh, There's so many other stories. We don't have time to get into all of them. But when you read about these acquisitions at these crazy multiples in your category, and the way I think about your brand, I think about you guys as a specialty food uh, producer. Uh, Do you feel like selling to a strategic is your end game? When I, when I hear that, a, I always think let's, Let's get into the details of that deal. I wonder actually how that money actually flows. But I also, if let's say, let's just assume that it's a $600 million check that the owner got. What do you need all that money for? Like I have relatively, you know, simple needs per se, you know? So that doesn't really fire me up. Like it just doesn't. Like there there will be, if I do sell, there will be an evaluation that's appropriate. Um, now, if somebody wants to, you know, offer that, I'd be crazy to say no, but when I hear that stuff, I don't give it a lot of thought because for me, it's not necessary. I mean, <laughs> there's a few more here. I got to rhyme off. Pepsi bought Rockstar for $3.85 billion in 2020. Uh, Kraft Heinz sold natural cheese business Lactalis, if I pronounce that correctly, $3.2 billion. Nestle bought peanut allergy treatment maker Immune Therapeutics for 2.6 billion. Mars bought Kind Bar for a bunch of money. I mean, the list goes on. It's, it, it's just insane. Unless it becomes extremely real and somebody wants to walk into my office and say, listen, this is what we're thinking. I'm not really thinking about it. We are having a lot of fun. And there might be a day where somebody does come up and want to have that conversation, but we're not actively seeking it out. Well, the Extreme Bean is available across the country and in the U.S. on grocery store shelves everywhere. I encourage everybody to try it if you've not tried your pickles. The Caesar is in the LCBO, obviously, in Ontario and across the nation. Are you guys selling the Caesar down in the U.S.? No, not yet. No Caesar in the U.S., but uh, available from coast to coast. Matt, where can people follow you guys on social? You can look us up at mattandsteve.com. We are on Instagram at extremebean.com or at mattandsteve.com. Facebook, same thing. Matt, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. And listeners, as always, thanks for tuning in. That's it, guys, for today. Thanks so much for listening. E2 is brought to you by Scriberbase. Want to build recurring revenue for your business? Visit scriberbase.com for more info. If you enjoy the show, download, share, or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can also visit us at glow.fm slash e2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on.
Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Hi, I'm Lassa Gaudet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Electric acid. 